welcome to the You Press Play News Podcast, Episode 6. My name's Natalia. I'm the news editor. I'm Jillian. I'm the copy desk chief. And uh, I'm Michael. I'm a contributing writer. And on today's list, we have on FAU News, for arrests that have been coming out, stadium tickets. And in national news, we have spring breakers, COVID updates, and updates on the AstraZeneca, Asian attacks, Biden scandal, and what has been happening in China right now in the camps. So Austin Silverstein graduated from FAU with his bachelor's in business in 2019, um, and he was very involved with the university's Greek life. Um, on the 17th, he was arrested and charged with domestic battery, battery to an emergency care provider, battery of a firefighter, and criminal mischief to a vehicle. Supposedly, this all happened after he got into a fight with his girlfriend of over a year over a conversation about her ex-boyfriend. Allegedly, he grabbed her and pushed her into the bushes. The arrest records indicate that he may have grabbed her so hard that he left visible marks on her arms. Uh, He then allegedly took off his belt and used it to scratch up her car, causing a grand and damages. When he was arrested, the report says that he began hitting his head on the plastic window within the cop car. So as a result, a fire rescue team escorted him to the Boca Raton Hospital, uh, where he sat with the firefighter and began to spit on him. (laughs) And then uh, when the hospital staff tried to give him a CT scan, he kicked the technician in the shoulder. He was then taken to jail later that night. Uh, That's a hell of a night. That's my, uh, that's basically my only thoughts on that. Um, uh, do we have any more info on this? Well, I'm sure, I'm, I assume alcohol was involved. Yeah, they were drinking. Um, it didn't say in the police report how much they were drinking, but apparently they were at um, like a restaurant or a bar before the fight. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at uh, at the little bit that we know about it. it. Man, that's assault when you spit on someone. So you spit, spit on the firefighter, kick someone at the hospital. I mean, it's... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if they're going to go easy on him or not, but that's crazy. That is, I don't know. Just, just stay home when you drink. That's my, my uh, message pretty much. Stay home. Next in FAU news, last week we discussed FAU's announcement that classes will return to traditional in-person teaching. The university has now announced that stadium tickets for football games are on sale. Students will get in for free, but for others, the tickets are being sold for $60, which is the same price as last season. Um, What is most notable about this, though, is that the tickets are being offered for full capacity seating. So the entire stadium, you know, should people buy enough tickets, could be filled up. Personally, I think that it's pretty risky considering that there's no guarantee that people will be vaccinated or safe, but what do you guys think? Um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not against having in-person seating uh, for the football games. I am kind of unsure though about full capacity because uh, not even pro sports is doing full capacity right now. Now we're talking about, I think FAU's football season would start closer to September, October, something like that. So uh, we might be looking at a very different landscape then because of how far ahead uh, the vaccine schedule is. I think that Biden said he hit his 100-day goal in 59 days or his administration, not him himself. But so we might be looking at a completely different deal here, uh, not just for college, but for pro sports in um, the fall. But um, I don't know. I, I I'm I'm I don't want to jump to like full capacity. The the stadium, uh, the football stadium is the biggest stadium I think at our campus, is it not? And I would think so. I think it is, but just from driving by it, it looked like it was the biggest one. But um, 
that's a lot of people to pack, even though it is open air and we know that's safer and stuff like that. But um, I don't know. I, I think that this one's kind of impossible to answer right now. We have to see what happens in the future with uh, these variants and more vaccines as they become available. But um, I don't know. That's I, I sort of feel the same way as you. I, I think that it's okay for people to go, especially because we're talking about something five months from now and things are already getting better. But um, yeah, we'll just have to see, I guess. We're going to talk about the spring breakers. Uh, we, we, we'll do this pretty quick because we talked about this last week. But uh, I saw yesterday that the city of Miami Beach, they had to declare a state of emergency because of basically havoc down in Miami Beach with spring breakers. Um, and I, I watched briefly on the news. A lot of them seemed like they were people from out of town. So an 8 p.m. curfew was imposed by the city because of crowds and because of coronavirus risk. And the interim city manager, Raul Aguila, I hope I'm saying that right, said the curfew would be in effect for at least three days. The city's leaders are going to meet tomorrow to discuss this order and vote on whether to extend it or cancel it. Um, I, I have some thoughts on this first before I let you guys go. I don't understand why for this spring break thing, why the bars aren't only open to Floridians. Like Neil mentioned last week that he saw one bar in Miami that was only allowing 23 and up with a Florida state ID. I think that that would, that would end this problem like immediately so but i'm interested to hear what you guys have to say about this yeah i think i think it's good that they declare the state of emergency and put the curfew in place i don't know how helpful it's gonna be hopefully it does something i mean social media has been like flooded with videos of people like getting into fist fights or photos of the beaches just covered in trash and litter and I mean, we talked about it last week. It's just so unproductive and so bad for the community. Um, so hopefully that this helps and hopefully they keep it in place. Yeah, I saw a video, I think yesterday, it was like last night of how it was past the curfew time. I think it was like possibly 8, 30, 9 p.m. at night. And there's still huge crowds on South Beach still there and police were trying to get them out and they wouldn't get out. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's um it's like a larger trend. This is this is bad even when it isn't during the pandemic. Like what Jillian said, like with trash littering the beaches and stuff. I mean, we have protected species down there, those turtles and all those other things. Uh, th this topic annoys me every year, but in a pandemic, I, I can't believe that it wouldn't already be like there wouldn't already be some type of restrictions in place. Like you can close the beaches for a couple of days. I understand that. DeSantis and, and, and even city leaders in Miami probably want to keep the businesses open, to keep the money flowing, to keep people in their jobs. And in one way, I understand that. But in other ways, it's like we're talking about like public safety here. And, and we have that new strain um, of the virus going around that's extremely contagious and more dangerous. So, I mean, it's just, I don't know. De DeSantis goes on TV and talks about Florida's, how good Florida's response is to the pandemic. And I don't necessarily think that having everything open is a good response. And that's basically my thoughts on that, because uh, we, we talked more in depth about this last week. So they are also closing certain parts of the highway, certain parts of the road after a certain time frame. So they, they so like other people can't get through. So apparently what I'm seeing is after Okay, so sometime, this is from Channel 7 News, sometime after 10 p.m., 7 News cameras showed a large convoy of police vehicles heading south on Collins Avenue as cruisers blocked intersection. 
So what I'm guessing is that they're going to start closing after 8 p.m. They're going to start closing certain parts of the highway so people can't continue coming in. Yeah, and um, I, I think that's actually a good idea because if you've if anyone's ever been down to South Beach, there's literally really only one way in and out. So if roads are closed, you there's nothing you can do. You you know what I mean? It's already I mean, it's crazy down there. <laughs> I mean, I I hate driving down there already, but um, yeah, uh, there's really only one way in and one way out. So I think that that can be a good measure maybe to keep people away. But uh, the spring breakers are determined, man. They didn't they didn't. Uh, come here from Iowa for no reason. You know, they're determined to have their fun. So in the last couple of View Press Play episodes, we talked about the COVID-19 vaccine and the AstraZeneca vaccine. We now have some updates on not only the vaccines, but on the pandemic in general. So on the vaccine in general, uh, we talked about how, how Austria had stopped administering the vaccine due to blood clots found in patients who took the vaccine. Now, this is as of 3.14 in the morning one person has died from the blood clots in Denmark. According to NBC6 South Florida, more countries have started to halt partially or completely the vaccine as a measure of precaution. In Denmark, Norway, Iceland, and Bulgaria, uh, they have halted all of the vaccinations. Italy, Romania, and Austria have stopped using shots from particular batches. Thailand and Congo, which were supposed to have started this past week administering it, have delayed the rollout of the vaccine. France, Poland, and Nigeria have continued to administer the vaccine while investigators are investigating this. But there seems to be a reasoning behind the blood clots in some patients. The Wall Street Journal published a story in how scientists have found a case to the rare side effect to the vaccine, as well as a possible treatment to it. So two teams in Norway and Germany have independently found that the vaccine can cause an autoimmune reaction that is probably causing these blood clots in some people. So um, Paul Andre Palm, I'm probably butchering this, a, who's a chief physician of Oslo University Hospital who headed the investigation in Norway, said that the antibody that was created in the vaccine was triggering these reactions that were leading to blood clots that were mostly being found in the brain. But the treatment that is being found right now is that it can be treated with the blood thinning medication and immunoglobin, which targets that antibody that is causing the blood clots. So I want to know what you guys think about this. Uh, we, this is kind of weird right now because I remember when we first talked about this, we 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 were we cautioned that uh, just because some people were having problems with this doesn't mean the vaccine caused it, and and we still don't know that 100% for sure. Uh, what was interesting is someone on uh, they had a, a, a epidemiologist on the news the other day, and he was talking about how um, he 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 didn't understand why this was happening because this vaccine is not that different from the ones that we're using in the US right now. So he he called for um, more testing and uh, stuff like that to see, you know what I mean, if they could find some kind of causality. And it looks like from this, at least, I'll have to read both of these articles later, Natalia, that they may have found maybe something in this vaccine that is different than the other ones that might be causing this in certain individuals. But um, we don't have this vaccine yet in the U.S., and we probably won't for a couple months because uh, the the guy on the news said that it was um, not not because it was inherently unsafe, but that 
we have a much more diverse population than a lot of places in Europe. So we have to test these vaccines on more people, on uh, different ethnicities, different people. And so that the AstraZeneca vaccine is going to take longer in the US to be approved regardless. So I assume by the time that this is approved, if it ever is in the US, it probably won't be an issue for us as Americans. But I'm interested to see uh, if this is actually causing this issue um, on a large scale or not. Did you, you said someone died from this? Yes, someone in Denmark died because of the blood clots in the brain. That is terrible. Okay. Um, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I guess we'll just have to keep following it. Mm -hmm. So, of course, besides the vaccine, a new study is showing how the COVID pandemic almost did not happen. It almost did not happen. So according to CNN, researchers that are working to show when and how the, vir the virus first emerged in China calculated that it didn't affect the first person until October of 2019, at the very earliest, that's what they're saying right now, and how the pandemic almost didn't make it as a pandemic type of virus. So in a science, science journal, they found only bad luck and packed conditions of the seafood market in China gave the edge that the virus needed to turn it into a massive disease. So if things had been a bit different, if the first person hadn't gone into the market or if these super spreader events hadn't occurred, we may have never known about the coronavirus in the first place. And yes, the study indicated that the virus did emerge in China's Hubei, I'm probably picturing this, Hubei province and that the market wasn't where the first person got infected, but where, where it allowed the virus to amplify. Now, genetic evidence shows that the bats carry a closely related virus uh, sequence, and it suggests that an intermediate species of animal was likely infected, which then allowed it to be transmitted into humans. So I want to know, what do you guys think about this? I think the universe has a bad sense of humor. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> of course it didn't work out the way that we needed it to. And of course it happened this way. And it's, it was just kind of the perfect storm, especially here in America. Um, I was looking into it and there are so many things that Trump did like leading up to the pandemic, you know, in like 2016, 2017, 2018, um, like cutting funding um, and otherwise trying to make it harder for the CDC to do their job. Um, and so I think that also probably had an impact in how terribly everything went. Yeah, um, I, I was reading, scanning through this article. Uh, I didn't have time before we got on or I would have read it. It's really interesting. Um, and uh, it, what the thing that is really interesting about it says is that in the models that the team ran, the virus only took off about 30% of the time. And the rest of the time, the models show it would have gone extinct after infecting only a handful of people. And uh, coronaviruses have, have been around for a long time, like uh, the SARS epidemic, uh, like 20 years ago, that was a coronavirus and it kind of just died out. Um, and, um, but it was a big deal at the time, killed a lot of people, I think in Korea and China and stuff like that. Uh, and then one of the persons quoted says, what may have happened here was that the virus was sputtering along in a very low number of people in October, November and December, and then it got into the Hunan seafood market and kind of exploded that way as a super spreader event. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I, I think that what Jillian said too makes a lot of sense. We, I, I think that collectively uh, as Americans, we've kind of always, um, every pandemic that's happened in the last 15, 20 years, it's always been somewhere else. So we've had that kind of detachment from it. And even when we were getting news, I, I consider myself to be someone that reads a lot of news, watches a lot of news. But um, when the coronavirus was blown up in December last year um, of 2019, uh, I still like wasn't scared of it really. I was like, uh, you know, it, it just sort of seemed like like Ebola or Zika or whatever, like that it would fizzle out, maybe we thought. And I think that shows how ignorant not only I was, but a lot of other people. I actually went to uh South Florida Renfest like four days before the country shut down. And uh that was extremely stupid in retrospect. But at the time I wasn't thinking of no coronavirus or nothing being shut down, you know what I mean? So um I think Jillian's right. The universe has a terrible sense of humor. And uh, it's also just crazy how one person could change the world like this. Like one person deciding to do something innocuous, like going into a market has now changed the, like the global world forever. I mean, that is wild. Uh, but yeah, that, that's, that's, the one, that's what I think. Yeah. So if anyone is wondering what article this is, this is a CNN article titled, The COVID-19 Pandemic Almost Didn't Happen, A New Genetic Dating Study Shows. And this is by CNN Maggie Fox. So if you're wondering where all this information came from, it came from this CNN article. Now, also this past week, as everybody knows, a 21 year old in Georgia opened fire and killed a total of eight people, five of which were of Asian, uh, five people which were Asian in Atlanta, and this happened in the spa. But this isn't the first attack that has come about targeting Asians. In the past month and in past You Press Play episodes, we did talk about the recent um, increases in Asian American attacks. But sadly, it's only gotten worse since we last talked about it. Yeah, and I don't know if you saw, but when this initially happened, the police spokesperson, I forget his name, and I um, remember reading that he was taken off of the case as a spokesperson, but he said that this was like a result of the shooter having a bad day. He said, oh yeah, he had a really bad day and a sex addiction, so this is what he did. Having a bad day doesn't make you shoot eight people. Um, and not only that, but then that police officer, um, it came out, um, an old post that he made, including t-shirts with remarks that were very anti-Asian revolving the coronavirus. So it's not particularly surprising that he was not the most empathetic, but it's really devastating to see how prominent like this ignorance is within the police force. And I know it's not surprising, especially not to any of us here, I don't think, but it's just devastating. And they still don't want to call it what it is. I mean, this was a hate crime. The, he attacked Asian Americans, and that should not be pushed under the rug. That should not be okay. And I hope that I hope that it isn't pushed under the rug. I hope that they take it seriously for once. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna bring up what Jillian talked about with the police chief about uh, his words. They normalize this kind of behavior from people like this. Um, and, and also, first of all, I wanted to say rest in peace to the victims, of course. Um, it's terrible. Um, no one should ever be, be scared to go and live their life because of the way they look or their culture. Unacceptable um, words from that 
police spokesman. But um, I think that these kind of words, uh, they, they normalize this in a way. You need to start calling things like this domestic terrorism. And I think a lot of American institutions, they're very afraid to call white terrorists terrorists. Uh, it, you know, you think if the table tables were turned and a Muslim man shot eight people, they everyone would be calling it terrorism. And it, it's it, we've seen that they they just ignore that. Um, it just seems like like white supremacist violence and stuff like that is kind of brushed under the rug when it's that's like the biggest domestic threat. Like the FBI director Christopher Ray, he said a couple of weeks ago that white uh, nationalist groups pose the biggest international, uh, not international, pose the biggest domestic terrorism threat to Americans. Not, you know, outside groups, not terror groups from abroad, from Iran or from the Middle East or anywhere like that, but white extremists in America pose the biggest threat. And then three weeks later, a white extremist guns down eight innocent people because of their race. And then the police are gonna say, oh, he had a bad day. No, that, I, I just think that that's ridiculous. And I, I know that the Biden administration so far has uh, tried to use the correct language when labeling like, like the Capitol riot, they labeled it, it as an act of terrorism, as of domestic terrorism. But the words we use matter. And, um, and I think that this is also, um, this was drummed up from, we've, we've been going on a year now of people uh, going after Asian Americans and Asian people. Uh, and it's not just in America, but we live in America, so that's closer to home. But um, none of the stuff that the Trump administration said helped with this, with the Kung flu remarks and all that other stuff. I just think that this all sets up a, a, an environment where people then start to see Asian Americans as like the other or like not human or not American, which always leads to bad things like this. I mean, I, I actually, I want to say I'm surprised that this happened, but I, I'm not surprised. I, I wouldn't be surprised if something like this happened again in the very near future. Um, it's just, it, we're very, there's a lot of hateful people out and things are divided, so. Another thing that people are talking about because of what happened is the gun laws in Georgia. They have no waiting period to purchase a gun. So he walked into a shop and he bought a gun and he went out and did this on the same day. Florida is another state that has very, very lax gun laws. Um, very, very lax. Uh, and um, I mean, I, 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 grew, I, I, don't, I don't hunt or anything like that, but I, I used to go to the shooting range with my brother. It's fun to shoot at the targets, you know what I mean? And uh, even as someone who likes to do that, I think there needs to be way stricter control. You know what I mean? Like, I think assault rifles should be banned, things like that. But there needs to be more background checks, more do, do whatever we can to, to stop this. Because another thing that angers me when things like this happen is that politicians and people say that that there's nothing they could have done that it was inevitable this is the only country in the world where this always happens there's an onion article from years ago where it's like there was nothing we could have done says the only country in the world where this continually happens over and over again and it's like there is more we could do i mean it just annoys me man we sent men to the moon in the 1960s and we can't have gun laws that make sense it gets on my nerves, you know. America does not take these things seriously and that other countries are more willing to be on top of it and more willing to take care of people. 
so that things like this don't happen again. Yeah, and also I think this also, someone brought this up on Twitter as well. We need to stop, there was this, there's this whole entire thing with the sexualization of Asian women and also Asian men. And I think that's also kind of what it streams from is we need to start taking care of these um, sexual type of obsessive behaviors because also what they found out was that the gunman he was kicked out of his home because he had an obsession with pornographic material. Yeah, but even that, I mean, that doesn't make you shoot and kill eight people. Eight people. Um, I think it's a horrible excuse. <laughs> you know, the conversation about how pornography affects people is a whole other conversation, but I think it's fair to say that, that it, it doesn't make you kill eight people. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with Juliet on that. I understand how it relates because I know there's been a discussion about the fetishization of mm -hmm. Asian women. And I think that's a really important conversation to have. And maybe the maybe what he was watching contributed to that. And um, obviously that's something that we need to address, but using it as an excuse to defend him, mm -hmm. <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. I was gonna say too, did you notice that the excuses always get laid out for uh like white shooters when they do this? Yeah. His mom didn't love him. Oh, he got kicked out of school. Oh, he did this, that, and the other. But it, it, it's like people like will write like huge things about what mm -hmm. made the shooter do this. But um when George Floyd got killed, the first thing that they were talking about was, well, he wrote, he had a bad $20 bill. You know what I mean? It, it, Which really I don't think he even actually did. The police officer just believed that he did. Yeah. And then people backed it up because I think he had like drug use on his criminal record or something like that. Um, but like, regardless, like there's no reason to be defending white shooters or white terrorists yeah i i think that was my point there's a there's definitely a double standard in the way media covers white shooters and mm -hmm. white terrorists versus um black and brown victims or asian victims you get yeah. what i'm saying um mm -hmm. I, I i it's a it's a dog whistle that's so loud that everyone can hear it if you're paying attention um and uh i i don't know i mean that's something that always I always notice every time something like this happens is that they always talk about the troubled past or this or that. I, I saw when Parkland happened, people saying, oh, well, those kids bullied Nicholas Cruz. And it's like, what? I was bullied like, too, yeah. and I'm not, I'm not, yeah. not coming to school and I'm and killing people, you know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah. it's just so, not an excuse, and people will use mental illness or anything. They will literally use anything to defend a white murderer. Anything. Yes. Yeah. yeah, especially a white man. They would do yeah. everything. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with, with all of that. I think people bend over backwards to make excuses for white domestic terrorists. I mean, we've seen people make excuses for rioters at the Capitol. I yeah. saw like police officers in the news make excuses for that. And that was disgraceful. I mean, that was absolutely disgraceful. And I'd be saying the same thing if supporters of a democratic president did it. That was absolutely mm -hmm. ridiculously disgraceful. Yeah, I think it's also sad. Like, you know, our Asian 
friends or Asian, anyone that we know that has, um, that is of the Asian ethnicity, you know, they can't, do, they're scared. They are scared to go out because they don't know if someone's going to spit on their face, if someone's just going to, you know, punch them and call them, you know, call them a racial slur. And it's just saddening that we can't even go, you know, they can't even live their normal lives anymore because of this. Well, something that's crazy about that, um, I, I read something recently um, in San Francisco, there's actually like neighborhood watches, mm -hmm. of young, uh, fit people that are escorting elderly Asian people or vulnerable Asian people to and from their jobs and their markets. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about San Francisco, which is a place that has a huge Asian population. Mm -hmm. These people are afraid in their own communities to go to their own stores because they're afraid that some nameless person is gonna come up behind them and hit them or shoot them or assault them. Um, it's a problem, man. And, 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 and like I said, I mean, I don't think you could, you could just say, oh, well, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a pandemic hysteria. People mm -hmm. are afraid of Asians. I think that no. the rhetoric that was coming from the previous administration for over a year really, really fired these people up. I mean, people take what, or it seems like rabid Trump supporters took what he said to heart uh, big time. So they, you know, his words mattered. Everyone's words mattered. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, we saw it during the riot when, when he finally told them to leave. They said, oh, Trump told us to leave. Let's leave finally. That's the only thing that made them leave. So mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, man. It, it's messed up. It's, it's extremely, extremely messed up. But I, I, I'm glad that you guys noticed, too, that immediately they, they reached for the excuses for the shooter. I, I mean, I don't, you know what I mean? It's always mental illness or he didn't have a father or this or that. And, and I, I get so tired of that, man, because... It, victims don't get the same you know level of compassion and you know that it would be different if the shooter wasn't a white american male uh, you know that that it's it's just wild mm -hmm. the conversation would be completely different if yes. this was not a white male mm -hmm. yes the media and how the police handle it would be completely different um they would be much much harsher if that were the case Pretty much, yeah. It's it's pretty awful. That's really, ah, uh, man. It's just I can't. Uh, like I said, I want to say I can't believe it happened, but it, but I'm not surprised. Okay, yeah. I wanted to touch on this briefly. Um, so I know Biden ran on uh, talking about canceling some student debt. Well, in in a that's a half truth right now because they they have canceled some debt. Um, so I was reading on Business Insider. Uh, his education secretary, his administration's education secretary, uh, Miguel Cardona, on this previous Thursday, so three days ago, they relieved 72,000 defrauded borrowers of $1 billion worth of student loan debt from for-profit institutions like ITT Tech and Corinthians Colleges. Um, these colleges were giving out loans knowing that students would most likely default on the payments. They were very expensive loans. And uh, what's interesting is that um, Corinthians College in particular, they, they take advantage of the federal Pell Grant program. They make money from that. Um, and they, at the same time, they're lending out these expensive loans that they knew that people weren't going to be able to pay back. But uh, Miguel Cardona, the education secretary, he said, quote, borrowers deserve a simplified and fair path to relief 
when they've been harmed by their institution's misconduct. A closer review of these claims and the associated evidence showed that these borrowers have been harmed and we will grant them a fresh start from their debt. Uh, so under the regulations, it says that these people that were harmed by these institutions are gonna get a, a reimbursement of any amount paid on their loans, 100% discharge of borrowers related federal student loans. Uh, they will be able to put requests to credit bureaus to remove any related negative credit reporting. And if applicable, they will get a reinstatement of federal student aid eligibility. I, I think this is interesting. You know, uh, this could probably be applied to colleges that aren't necessarily classified as for-profit institutions, because let's be real, we're not naive. Every college is for-profit. We all saw our tuition go up when the pandemic hit. You know what I mean? Um, so I'm interested what you guys would think about this. And also, if you think that this could have any ramifications for canceling student debt at large at different universities. You know what I mean? Well, first of all, very interesting about ITT Tech, because I feel like I always see commercials about them, or at least I did very often a few years ago. Um, so crazy to see that they've been defrauding their students. Um, I'm happy that the students who were essentially scammed, they're going to get some of their money reimbursed and they're going to be provided some relief. But I feel like that's the bare minimum, like giving these students some relief when they've been defrauded by their institution. What about everyone else? <laughs> you know, I feel like I feel like this shouldn't have even been a conversation. I think it should have been, of course, these people are going to get help. Now let's help other people too. Um, so I'm really happy that they are getting the help that they, they need, but I feel like the conversation should be expanded beyond that, especially since you're right, this was something that Biden ran on. And ever since he's been elected, we haven't really gotten much conversations from him like about, about relieving student debt. Um, you know, and it was the same thing with the stimulus check where he said, I'm gonna give you two grand in stimulus. And then he says, oh, here's 1,400. You already got 600 before. So, you know, take it or leave it. And I just feel like this is not, he's not gonna be able to keep his promise, not because he doesn't have the ability to, the Democrats control a lot right now. I think that it was a promise that he made that he maybe had no intention of keeping. Well, one thing I've thought that was interesting about this is, is that at like the drop of a hat, you just saw they canceled $1 billion of student loan debt. But all the time they talk about, we can't cancel student loan debt. And that is just wild to me. This money is, is nothing to, to, to our government. I mean, we spend a ton of money on things that the military doesn't need. And I'm just going to add this out there. My brother's a combat veteran. He was hurt in the Iraq war. And he's telling me himself that they send stuff over there that those troops don't want or need. So we spend a ton of money on our military to be in countries that we probably shouldn't be in there where the money can be reallocated to more American citizens. And uh, that's not meant as an attack on the military. I, I just think that the, the excuse that we can't cancel student debt is completely bogus. They just did it at the drop of a hat. <laughs> $1 billion, boom, done. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know, man. Same thing. I feel the same thing with like climate change and stuff like that as well. It's like, where's the money come from? You guys literally can like make up a number and, and have the money. Like, I, I don't understand it. Well, 
what's even more interesting, and maybe this is going to send me on a tangent or both of us on a tangent, but um, if we just taxed rich people, it would be very easy to pay for a lot of things. Jeff Bezos evaded $3 billion in taxes last year in 2020. $3 billion in taxes he evaded. Elon Musk's value went up by about like 500% during the pandemic. All right. Jeff Bezos got way richer during the pandemic, rich enough that he, I read it was, I think it was in Forbes. He could have given a hundred grand to everyone that works for him and still have been just as rich as before the pandemic. Not even kidding. So the excuses of we can't afford to do things to help people is so crap to me because if we just tax people who have more money than what they know how to, what to do with, these issues, they wouldn't be issues. Yeah, so also the same thing. It's kind of like the same thing with like um, universal healthcare. The or is like, oh, we can't give you guys universal healthcare. I'm kind of like, we have all this money. You can give us universal healthcare. We're the only country, like top country, I should say, um, that doesn't have universal healthcare. Every other country has universal healthcare. UK has universal healthcare. South Korea has universal healthcare. Even God, Brazil even has universal healthcare, like has some type of universal healthcare system. We have the money, but we don't use it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say, um, first of all, about the whole billionaire thing, I think people don't realize how much just $1 million is. And then you have people like Jeff Bezos and um, Elon Musk who have several billion dollars or hundreds of billion dollars. Also, I don't trust Elon Musk. He named his son XAsha12. That kid's probably gonna destroy the planet at some point, uh, but that's a conversation for a different day. Um, but yeah, um, <laughs> the healthcare thing kills me too because not having single payer healthcare actually costs more money. The reason if you have health insurance and you go into the emergency room, the reason that it's so expensive is that they have to account for the uninsured. So you have to pay more. If everyone had insurance, that would be eliminated. That's why they're covering their own essentially. I'm sorry to curse, but um, they're, they're covering their own backsides because they, they know that so many people don't have health insurance. The easy solution would be to give everyone health insurance. You know, I mean, this goes to a lot of things. I mean, uh, I saw like, they say you can't solve homelessness or whatever. I saw that Norway solved homelessness and they said that it, it, it ended up costing them less money to give the homeless apartments and job training than it did to like any of their other measures that they had been trying for 20 or 30 years or something like that. So the idea that the, where does the money come from is just absolutely insane to me. I, I, I like, I hate that excuse. I, I always use, if you, if you know me in real life, you'll, you'll, you'll hear me say it all the time. I say, we put a man on the moon in the 60s. Don't tell me you don't have money or you can't do something because that's bonkers. We did that. So I don't want to hear it. I was totally right. This did put us on a tangent and that's totally fine. Um, <laughs> um, 
the argument also against you know universal healthcare is that people will look at other countries and say oh well they have a waiting period when i first moved to boca and i tried to make a doctor's appointment like four out of the five offices that i called said it would take like six to nine months to actually be able to schedule an appointment with them <laughs> so i would much rather have to wait like a couple weeks and have my medical bill covered than be told that you know, I have to wait several months to get an appointment and then still pay for it when I'm done. Yeah, so there's also this thing, I, I keep saying this on Twitter all the time, um, not Twitter, TikTok. Um, it's where it's kind of like, tell me, it's something like, tell me you, tell me you live in America without telling me you live in America, or like, tell me, it was like, tell me you're not from America without telling me you're not from America or something like that. And it's like stories of like people of like Americans who live in like France or like they live somewhere in Europe and they're telling their stories about how they went to the emergency room or there was this one story about a woman on TikTok. I think she got hit by a car or something and uh, all this like change fell out of her and stuff and like they're like trying to call the ambulance and she's like stop stop like don't like don't call it that's gonna cost me a fortune and they're like what do you mean that costs like less than a thousand dollars here that costs like five hundred dollars or something and she's just like what and she's just like staring she's like what the heck and it just goes to show well, you, you could also tie this back to the pandemic in a way, too. I mean, how many people would have kept going to work if they had health insurance and were able to stay home? Yeah. I mean, your, your insurance shouldn't be tied to, we all deserve health care. I mean, that's number one. I don't care what your job is. Uh, we all deserve health care. And Jillian's right, too. The, the, the waiting list thing is bogus. I had uh, an illness in December, and um, I wanted to go see a specialist for it, and there was a two-month wait. Uh, and uh, Fortunately, it cleared up, but, um, and my mom's a nurse. They, the, the hospitals charge you for everything. Uh, the saline that they use when they run an IV, they mark it up. Uh, insulin is marked up incredibly high. A Tylenol that you, they give you, if you go to the emergency room, they're going to charge you 40, 50 bucks for it. Um, it's just messed up, man. That's all. I, I, Jillian was right. This did send us off on a tangent because it's just, and, and Florida's Medicaid laws are so dumb. I mean, <laughs> I'm just going to call it as it is. They're just so ridiculously dumb because I'm not a native Floridian. I've lived in tons of other places. I, I've lived in like five or six states. So um, <laughs> it, it was just wild when I got down here to see how ridiculous it was. Because in some, in some places in the U.S., pretty much everyone can get some type of Medicaid insurance, but not here. Well, it was a tangent, but I think it was a productive one, <laughs> or at least an important one, a good conversation to talk about. Um, but yeah, so I guess back to, you know, the conversation I had, which was loans. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I think that it's great that these people are receiving help, and I think that that, that help should be extended to Americans, Americans everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, I think what's going to end up happening is they're going to do some kind of half measure where they cut like 10 grand of student debt, which, you know, would be sufficient for me. I haven't borrowed very much for my education, but if you are taking certain fields, you might be many thousands in debt. So these loans are predatory and, and they're your only way out sometimes. They say, well, don't take them. It's, well, then what do I do? You know what I mean? So, uh, 
I don't know, the system is kind of messed up. Yeah, and, and you make a really great point. Like, I was, I'm fortunate enough that at this point, you know, I'm heading towards the end of my third year here, and I don't have any student loans yet just because I've been able to get so many scholarships. Uh, but that's not the case for everyone. And I think you're right that they are predatory because you're asking these kids when they're 17, 18 to sign up for loans. And our schools don't even really teach like sufficient economics classes. Um, so that's ridiculous. And then on the other hand, you have people who had to pay off their loans already who are saying, well, I had to pay my loans, so you should have to pay yours. And I think that is just ridiculous. Like, it, I'm sorry that you had to suffer. I don't think people should have to pay back these insane loans with these insane interest rates. Um, but why does that mean that someone else has to go through the same thing? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, the, these people that are loaning out the money, they're gonna they're gonna be rich regardless. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it, it's uh, it, it, it's you know that's America though. Poor corporation, you know what I mean? Uh, Boo hoo, you know. The, but I don't know, dude. <laughs> it's it's just unbelievable. This this topic makes me very angry sometimes. Um, because the loans are predatory. And, and like you said, you're asking people to sign away. You're, you're signing something you don't understand for a lot of people. I went to school later. I didn't go to school right out of high school, uh, to college right out of high school. So, uh, I mean, I, I have good credit and stuff and I've taken out a few loans. I know what I've borrowed and it's well within my means to pay back. But a lot of people don't. And, um, and I, I don't know, you know, your only way out for a lot of people is a college degree. And the only way to pay for that college degree is with a loan and uh, then they end up getting screwed. Yeah, and I mean, I hear, I've heard lots of stories about, you know, you know, millennials, because our generation is still a little bit young, but they took, you know, maybe 80 grand out in loans, and they've paid 80 grand, but because of how insane the interest is, they've paid, like, over 100. Yeah. And that is just ridiculous to me. It's so it, ridiculous. It, it takes a while. You, you pay principal at first and it takes a very long time and it, and before you can uh knock it down and also what's crazy about these loans is i actually took one out uh for this semester they offered me i'm a junior they offered me nineteen thousand dollars and i could have been like if i was young if i was 18 i'd have been like holy hell nineteen thousand dollars give me that i can buy a jet ski but um <laughs> I was like, no, I don't need that. I don't need that. So I lowered the amount to what I knew I needed to help me. Um, and then I declined the rest. But someone that's young might not do that. You know what I mean? They might take that full 20 grand or whatever. And you could say, well, that's their fault. But I think they put those big sums up there so that you're like, you see the dollar signs and you're like, well, this is free money when it's not free money. So well, yeah, I mean, back on the subject of they're making like kids sign this technically i mean our brains aren't fully developed until like our mid-20s yeah um and these are kids who are just out of high school they don't have real world experience they don't know how to differentiate so it's like you're standing in front of a toddler and say you know hey i've got like a lollipop you want it they're gonna say yes um especially if you say that they need that lollipop to make it in the real world <laughs> um so it, it's really just so predatory it's it's a horrible system yeah. Yeah. I, I think we can all agree on that. I mean, it's, uh, like I said, on one hand, you know what you sign up for, but on the other hand, it's, I don't think that we do a good enough job explaining 
how hard it is to pay this kind of stuff off. Uh, I graduated from Broward. They did make me take a financial literacy course as part of a math class. And as part of that, we had to figure out like how to pay uh, interest on things. And it really put into perspective to me, I still remember it to this day, uh, how long it will take you if you are spending, if you, you know, take a loan for $80,000, how long you will be paying that before you actually see any difference on the principal instead of the interest. It's like sometimes 15 years, uh, depending on how much you took out. So that should probably be something that kids are doing in high school or middle school, ideally, because, uh, I mean, we don't learn none of that. We don't learn none of that, so. Oh, I know I didn't, I didn't have a class that taught anything like that. Yeah, it was, it was helpful. It was very hard because it was the, the formulas to figure it out were complicated, but I, I'm thankful I, I did it. And uh, it really showed like, even the teachers, like I have a credit card with no limit, but I don't, I don't use it that much. He's like, it's not for you to just go and, and he's like, I can get a new car tomorrow if I wanted to, but you know, it, it's, it's hard for young kids to understand that if you don't know how these things work, you know what I mean? I mean, credit is as a, as a concept itself is hard to understand. So it's so bizarre. I mean, uh, it, it's, first of all, it's hard to start building your credit because how I, that was the problem that I faced when I was fresh out of high school is I wanted to start building my credit so that I could, you know, get an apartment and get a house when the time came. And because I had no credit, I couldn't even like get a credit card to start building my credit. But the weird thing is like, you know, on the same day, I can get a notification from one credit checking app that says my score went up. And on the same day, like I can get another one from another app that says it went down and there'll be two different scores. So the credit system is just, it's really confusing and ugh, not necessary. Yeah, it, it, it's, it could be fixed. It's very complicated. Honestly, I mean, um, I'm at the point now where like you, I didn't have any a little bit ago and I got, I have three credit cards now. Uh, one of them has a pretty high limit, which I'm happy about, but I try not to really use it. And if I use it, I throw money on it immediately and pay it. And I think that when I graduate, you know, I'd like to be able to, you know, go get an apartment maybe somewhere around here in Boca or something, depending on where I end up working or whatever, but it's, it, you know, it's, and I had to have my mom help me with that stuff. You know what I mean? So, yeah. So, of course, I want to talk about this. So, by now, you probably, if not, you probably already know what's been going on with the Muslim ethnic minority that has um, been happening in China. So, if not, basically the Uyghur. So, they are a Muslim ethnic minority and they're being sent to what China is calling re-education camps, but it's far from that. It is way far from this. So according to, this is an article from, let me pull it up, from the Washington Post. And apparently this started in 2017, China started carrying out the sweeping crackdown on the Northwest Xinjiang region, which is a little region that's, I think, East or West? It's like near a border. It's near it's the it's, it's, it's near, um, I believe it's near Kazakhstan or Uzbekistan. Uh, 
Yeah. It's, it borders like um, Muslim majority countries. Yeah. So it borders this Muslim majority country and China's harsh campaign, campaign to forcibly assimilate this minority into the Chinese community, Chinese culture. And the United States, US, US State Department is calling this a genocide. And they are, they're saying they estimate more than 1 million people are in these re-education camps, but China still keeps denying this. And they keep saying that it's a vocational education and training center. And I was reading, um, I'm not gonna give too much information because of privacy and stuff. Um, I was reading a story on CNN about how this family has been set apart. They're like breaking apart this family because they don't want them to, it's, it's just insane. Like, what do you guys think about this whole entire situation? Uh, I'll go first because um, this is this is wild. What's happening in uh, the name of this place? It's it's spelled really weird. It's Xinjiang is the name of the place where this is going on. This has been going on for four years now. Uh, there's an article on the Wall Street Journal called 12 Days in Xinjiang." If you're remotely interested in this, you should watch this article. I read this article and watch the accompanying video. Everything there is surveyed. They have checkpoints set up throughout this city that have face monitoring technology to look for Uyghur features because they look different than traditional Chinese people. Um, so they, and they have, every time you go through these checkpoints, it scans your phone for if you've mentioned a mosque, if you've mentioned that you pray, if you're, you're who are your contacts, what news do you consume? And it is absolutely insane. If you go and get a knife from a knife maker, they put a QR code on it so that if you use it, they can track it to you. It is the most bonkers, sci-fi, dystopian, horrible thing that I think I have ever seen in my life. And they're literally hauling people away for nothing. They want these people to assimilate or die, basically. And um, this article is called 12 Days in Xinjiang. It was written on December 19th of 2017, which was three and a half years ago. So this has been happening. And um, for the, you know, for the president of China, uh, I don't know that he's a president, but uh, Xi Jinping, for that, they know what they're doing. Um, that's number one. But um, they, 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 they say that they're monitoring these Uyghurs because they're afraid of political extremism and things like that, which is just bogus, in my opinion. It's just a way for them to persecute people that are different and it is it is absolutely insane you every if you go watch the video it's hard for me to explain in words there's like literally security checkpoints every so and so where you go and you scan an id and then you walk through a thing and it scans your phone's data and like i said it's it's they're not even free at home basically like i i remember in the story i read there was anecdotes about how someone came to uh observe a family at home and like he he slept in the house with them and stuff just to make sure that they weren't attending mosque or that they weren't religiously muslim or things like that so uh it's pretty awful there's and and the the thing that makes it the most awful is there's really nothing that anyone can do uh china is such a, a strong nation they have a huge military and economic might that um 
even if, you know, Joe Biden can get on TV all he wants and say that we know this is happening, but it's on China to make the change. And this has been going on for four years, so I don't see them making a change. Yeah, there's not a lot we can do because um, the article from CNN even said that like China keeps denying these allegations because we keep on saying, oh, this is a human rights allegation. This is a human rights, you know, we keep telling them and they're like, oh, no, 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 no. It's just re-education camps. We're just trying to, it is not, it is not that. Like I've been reading stuff how they've been like forcifying like sterilization on you know this minority like women and stuff just to keep them from like giving birth and you know as we know like china has a um i forgot what it's called but like a one child policy yeah the one child policy and how you know for this minority they're kind of being a little bit lenient because of um of like history and stuff like that but they're like now starting to like pressure them like there's people that are like hey if you have more than like six half of kids you know, you have to pay fees or else you go to jail. Yeah, it, it's a terrible situation. I mean, honestly, I, I pulled up, I'm going to read an excerpt from this article, uh, but it says this is what's happening in Xinjiang, essentially. Uh, security checkpoints with identification scanners guard train station and roads in and out of town. Facial scanners track comings and goings in hotels, shopping malls, and banks. Police use handheld devices to search smartphones for encrypted chat apps, politically charged videos, and other suspect content. To fill up a car with gas, drivers must first swipe their ID cards and stare into a camera. Uh, so it's nearly impossible to move about the region without feeling the unrelenting gaze of the government. Citizens and visitors alike must run a daily gauntlet of police checkpoints, surveillance cameras, and machines scanning their ID cards, faces, eyeballs, and sometimes their entire bodies. So, uh, and if you ever run afoul of the government, when you swipe your card, a big X comes up and then they can detain you. What? Yep, it's literally like, it's in like the fifth paragraph. When fruit, friender, fruit vendor Parhat Amin swiped his card at a telecommunications office this summer to pay an overdue phone bill, his photo popped up with an X. Since then, he says every scan of his ID card sets off an alarm. He isn't sure what it signifies, but figures he is on some kind of government watch list because he is a Uyghur and has intermittent run-ins with the police. He says he's re reluctant to travel now for fear of det being detained. They blacklisted me. I can't go anywhere. So this is actually probably a lot worse than most Americans even think it is. You, you guys should, you yeah. should go watch this video and read this article. I could not believe this, how insane what they're doing to these people is. It, it, it is it is terrible that they're sending them to camps, but they're essentially being, they're like little lab rats in mm -hmm. their own communities because they're being monitored everywhere they go. They can't pray. They can't send a text message without being fear of it being scanned and coming back and then getting taken away. So it is, oh my God, it's, I can't believe even the tech companies would agree to like let let China use this kind of technology. It's, it's wild, absolutely wild. It's wild. And all I can think about is, you know, because I've learned about like, we all learn about the Holocaust in schools and stuff. It, but like, we don't really talk about like the Japanese side of the, of what happened during that time. This to me just seems like Holocaust, Germany plus Japan. Because if you look at like what the Japanese did during World War II, it is insane. 
So this just makes me like, how, how did we get here? And also this is something I remember, I think back in middle school when I took American history, I had a really amazing um, teacher and she literally told us one day in class, I don't know what we were doing. And she literally told us, she said, history repeats itself. If you're not careful, history will repeat itself. And I just keep thinking about that every single day when I see something like this, I just keep thinking about that exact thing she told us in class that day. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is this is not just a Uyghur problem too. Eventually this is going to be a China problem. They're using this surveillance technology to surveil Uyghurs right now. Eventually it's gonna be all throughout China if it's this accurate and you know what I mean? Uh, some of these articles said that their, their scanning features can like predict a Uyghur with like 85% accuracy. Imagine that kind of technology expanding worldwide or something like that, or to other countries, because that's the logical progression of things like this. And that's, that'll be the last thing I, I want to add about it, because I know Gillian wants to chime in, so. Well, I was just wondering, because you mentioned that you know that you were surprised that tech companies agreed to do this. Do you know, if, is there like any prominent American tech companies that are involved with this, or are these Chinese companies? From what I understood, I, I read a bunch, I did a deep dive into this a couple months ago. I just remembered this article in particular, but I read about five or six. And they did go talk to some of the Chinese tech companies who said that they were ensuring that it wouldn't go too far. But like I said, it's it, it, if you read the articles, it's clear that they're using this to surveil they, the Uyghurs because they're an ethnic minority and they know that they can get away with it. And then they're going to use this technology eventually on all Chinese people. And then eventually they can sell that to the highest bidder. And one of the articles I read said that people that autocratic countries, Iran, Turkey, places like that, you could imagine that they would want this technology. They would pay top dollar for it to surveil people. And eventually, you know, where does it stop? So right now it's a Uyghur problem where eventually this may be a country problem, like multiple countries or even a problem in the US. I mean, as far as I know right now, like I said, I haven't read some of these articles in a while. Uh, there was no US company involved with this. And it, it's really raising alarms because it's, it's these tech companies are doing the work of the government basically and helping them to create a police state essentially. Uh, it's terrible, man. I, I, I will, uh, you guys should definitely just go watch this video. It, it is unbelievable. I felt like I was watching a movie, so. And has the UN done anything or have they made a statement or have they investigated? Like, do you know what are the, what's their role in this? As far as I know, it's, it's just the same as what we've been hearing the last four years. You know what I mean? Like if you pay attention to the news, we all know that they've been mistreating this, this ethnic minority for years. So really though, I mean, what can you do eventually? You can sanction, you can do all this stuff. The, the, the issue is, is like I said, it's, China isn't just militarily mighty, but they are economically mighty. Everyone relies on them to get cheap products and cheap things to manufacture products. You know what I mean? The US has this kind of cold, hot relationship with China. You know what I mean? Where you don't want to piss them off because we, we rely and they don't want to piss us off because we rely on each other so much. So it seems like it's just been lip service. You know what I mean? Like sort of the same things that we hear about like North Korea, the way North Koreans are mistreated, it, it, it just seems like lip service, like, well, what can we do? You know what I mean? Um, 
I don't know. It, it's terrible. I don't know what the, I'm not going to act like I know what the solution is because this is extremely complicated. You know, I don't think this is open and shut like student debt. You know what I mean? But um, I, it's just worrying to where technology is going to go. You know what I mean? We talked, we already see kind of intrusive advertising. TikTok's algorithm is already kind of creepy. You like a couple videos about puppies and then all you get is puppies and it's like, or, or, you know, you talk about something and you open up your phone and then there's the product you were just talking about, you know, maybe you wanted a new pair of shoes or a new phone. There's a new shoes, new phone. Um, I don't know, man. It's just the logical progression of this, I think can only get, can only be bad. That that's it. Yeah. So, and, and like I said, this, this stuff is like probably in China is probably the most extreme that you'll see of, of something like that. Like, uh, in this Wall Street Journal story, the reporters were there, were talking about how they were driving. And as they were driving, it's like six police cars pulled up and blocked their road and got out and said, and they said, what did we do? And they said, well, we, we scan every license plate that's from that's not from Xinjiang. Get out of the car. So it, it's just absolutely wild. Uh, and um, yeah, just go watch it. Anyone listening, and especially you two, you guys are into journalism and stuff like that. Go watch this. This is wild. So I uh, guess we are done here for today. My name is Natalia, and that was the U Press Play episode six. Make sure you also listen to all of the other podcast episodes that we have up, and we'll see you next time on U Press Play News. Mm-hmm.